we will never leave you, even in the face of our death. The richness of our lives shall be yours. All that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel, all this and more, I, I bequeath you, my son. You will carry me inside you all the days of your life. You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes as your life will be seen through mine. The son becomes the father and the father the son. This is all I... All I can send you. Come on. Men in a Retrospective Podcast, Superman Retrospective Series. Hi. Superman? That's me. From 1978 Superman, all the way through 2016's Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Garrett. How can one man be so square and so delicious? Matt. Long past saving. And Adam. You diseased maniac. We'll look at all the Kryptonian Sun's cinematic adventures. The problem with Men of Steel, there's never one around when you want one. Was Richard Donner's vision of Superman deserving of its iconic reputation? Easy, miss. I've got you. You you've got me! Who's got you? Superman returns as bad as it's reputed to be. Hey, you know something? You're a real pain in the neck. What about 1984's Supergirl? Well, we really better talk. Find out the answers to all these questions and more coming up courtesy of Percolated Media. This order's to go. Steel. Released August 15th, 1997. Budget on this was $16 million box office. Oh boy. $1.7 million. And this is directed by... Yes. This is directed by Kenneth Johnson. Alright, I want to turn the floor over to my trusted colleague, my friend of over 10 years, Mr. Matthew Goudreau. Matt, I have bookended this show with the Superman intro and the Superman outro, but with the exception of a Superman tattoo, there is nary a Superman in this fucking movie. Why, Mr. Schedule Maker, did you include Steel in our retrospective? Well, using your logic, first and foremost, you put Catwoman in the Batman retrospective without Batman actually being in that movie. So, turn around is fair play, bitch. But second of all... This character is tied to the Superman mythos. Not in this movie, because we got to talk about the comics, because, you know, Adam and I are geeks on that front. So it, it would have been wrong, or I, I should say it would have been inconsistent for us to do Catwoman and not do this, because, you know, it is a lot of the same thing, you know, spinoff, not really tied to the central character, not well-regarded, stars somebody that is not the best actor in the world. So, you know, might as well be the same goddamn movie. At least Catwoman starred a fucking Oscar winner. Well, if you do the... um, He's got time. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, let's not forget, the year before they gave Cuba Gooding Jr. an Oscar, so he's still got a shot. (laughs) But but if you do the, you know, you mentioned the box office numbers, I think if you broke that, that percentage into a percentage per theater, you'd equate his career free throw percentage <laughs> which they take shots at in this movie now despite they do. now despite all my 
cankerousness when it comes to actually having to review this fucking movie. It has to be said that 1997 was not a good year for superhero films. <laughs> because Batman and Robin came out, and we mentioned on that podcast, everybody hates it now, but that movie made a lot of money. But still, it did not cross anybody's best of lists and this movie was released that same year and people also know especially if you've seen the documentary there was an actual superman movie being made around this time and of course we have references to that in flash don't make me revisit that it was starring Nicolas cage it was being directed by tim burton who made warner brothers a shit ton of money with batman and it was being written by the one and only Kevin Smith, based on the death of Superman. Adam, Mr. Comic Book Dude, when you heard that movie was being made, were you looking forward to it? Like, what about that movie would have worked if they had actually done it? Or was it just going to be Nicolas Cage in a disco ball costume and that's it? it it's tough because that time, it, that was that was going to be the 90s comics version of a movie. And I mean that in all the absolute worst ways. I, I mean, it, with Kevin Smith writing it, it was being written from what it looked like. And I've seen the doc. I think the documentary is actually fascinating and a good one to watch. The Death of Superman Lives. Miss you, John Schnipp. So, yeah, it looked like it was big. It looked like it was going to be loud and colorful. The suit that they were going to have for Superman was weird as all hell. Kevin Smith and, and Tim Burton obviously cannot stand one another. Uh, Tim Burton famously said, I don't read comic books, and I would surely never read one written by Kevin Smith. <laughs> to which Kevin Smith said, well, that explains Batman. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's no love lost between those two. I just think that was Warner Brothers at that time looking at headlines and going, sure, throw it together. What's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen is the movie didn't even get freaking made. And it probably would have been, it probably would be looked at now it, the way that Batman and Robin is looked at now. It would be looked at as a joke. Famously, that's the one. And Kevin Smith has made a lot of money on the downfall of that film because he tells the story all the time, or he did, of the fact that that's the one John Peters wanted a spider in that he was supposed to fight. Included, and along with a massive budget and just stuff getting out of control in that film caused it to completely shut down. Goudreau, have you, you've obviously heard of this movie. Would you have liked to have seen that movie? Was there anything positive that was going to come out of a movie titled Superman Lives? I honestly don't know. And for the longest time, I thought it was just a rumor. Like, I thought it was one of those movies that was in development hell for so long that there was nothing from the actual production until those pictures came out of Nick Cage in the suit. And then I was like, oh, wow, this actually was a, it was like a half heartbeat away from being an actual movie. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I don't think it would have been good. I like Kevin Smith's writing in comics. I think he's done some good stuff, namely with Daredevil, of all things. But his sensibilities, I don't equate to Superman. And I certainly don't put Tim Burton's sensibilities with Superman at all. And, look, Brainiac would have just been the fucking Martian from Mars Attacks. That's probably what it would have been. (laughs) It's one of those what-ifs. You know, I'd like to see it independent of everything else just to see, like, what it would have looked like. But I think it would have had bad repercussions for comic book movies. But you, you mentioned 1997. We have Steel... We have Batman and Robin. There's a third one. Spawn. Oh, God. Mm. Oh. Also a colossal piece oh, of shit. If you, um, that had an amazing television series. And an amazing soundtrack, which was a staple in my car for about a year. There, there's good that's come out of that, but look, when you're, when you're taking a shitty comic, I'm sorry, Tom McFarland sucks. <laughs> and you, you put it into a into a movie, you're, you're going to get a bad movie. But it's amazing those three in the same year did not just, like, infinity snap the superhero genre out of existence. Because, <laughs> look, Batman and Robin made money, sure, but it was the lowest grossing of the four. This movie we're talking about was a bomb. Like, of like, epic it, proportions. It, yeah, it was like, it was like, Sha- like, this is the equivalent of Shaq's Celtics career. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, and then, look, Spawn made a lot of made ninety million dollars, which is interesting, which is good for an indie comic mm-hmm. adaptation. But it, like that movie could not have come out in any other time except the nineties. Like it dates yeah. horribly. Yeah, 
ask Todd McFarland, who's been trying to make one for the last ten years. Yeah, like like that that man has. Oh God! I, I, if we ever do Spawn, I would I would just go off on him and Spider what he did to Spider Man and gave everyone a symbiote fetish. If that um, Jamie Fox Spawn movie ever happens, we're doing it. Oh, Jamie Fox will be dead by the time that movie actually goes into production. And, and look, you know, Jeremy Renner was cast. I don't think he can even walk. No, he's fine. All right, but but as far as Superman lives, was that going to be canonical with the Donner universe or no? That's just it. I don't know. I, I think it was going to be its own thing. Look, the first time I heard about Superman Lives was actually 1999 because Tim Burton appeared on the Howard Stern Show promoting Sleepy Hollow, a movie me and Adam saw together, by the way. And uh, that was the f- I love to talk about it sometimes. Yeah, that was the first time he had mentioned anything about that production. And I remember listening to him talk about it and the fact that they had Nicolas Cage in costume. They were in production on it, and it just shut the fuck down. And then it just became legend to the point where Kevin Smith would do podcasts on it, and people were talking about it more. Then it kind of died down again, and then information started coming out again. And so we had the documentary, and then that kind of died for a bit. And then we get this fucking Flash movie that we talked about a few months ago that also resurrected it. It's just a movie that has become a legend in of itself. And I think the fact that it hasn't been made is the only thing keeping it being talked about because it, it, from all accounts, it just seemed like a real big piece of shit. And I'm glad we never saw it, honestly. Like at that point, Nicolas Cage, he had just won the Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. His career kind of became a parody after that. Tim Burton would go on to do different things. So look, Good things have come out of it, but I don't think a good movie would have come out of that entire fiasco. And it started, like, it makes sense when that movie was going to come out, because basically from Sleepy Hollow on, Tim Burton's career has been taking pre-existing material and being told, hey, Burtonize this. Yeah. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes, Willy Wonka, uh, Sweetie Alice Tom, Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, like, Dumbo. That's been his entire mm. career since... Yeah. Superman was, and it would have been the same thing. Like, were we going to have, like, Superman have scissors for hands? And was Johnny Depp going to be Brainiac? Yeah, that was a rumor for a while, too, yeah. I, I don't know if he was married to Helena Bonham Carter yet, but she would have been Lois Lane. <laughs> um, of course, it would have gone to the Arctic because there's black and white there. But, yeah, I, I, I would not. It probably would not have been good. And look, Nicolas Cage, 97, great year for Nicolas Cage. Oh, it was, yeah. He had Face Off, yeah. and he had Con Air. Well, they were successful films. I don't know how good they were. But they... Oh, face Off's fucking great. Oh, for fuck's sake, Matt. Go take another fucking shot. That's why the he best... He his face Ugh, I hate that movie like, with a passion. I, that, movie is, that movie has supplanted Terminator 2 for me as the best action movie of the 90s. Oh, go fuck second. off. It's no Con Air. It's also no Steel. Let's talk about Steel. Now, Shaquille O'Neal. Love Superman. That tattoo shown in this film is real. Mm-hmm. He, at this point, he had signed to the Lakers, was headed to the Olympics. And I, I, his career was on fire at the time this movie was out. It's just unbelievable to me that Quincy Jones, of all people, signs on as a producer, insists on Kenneth Johnson bringing in Shaq, because Kenneth Johnson was against doing it. He actually wanted Wesley Snipes for this role. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And uh, well, speaking of the direct, speaking of the director, we got yeah. Let's talk this. about the director. There's tons of things to talk about with him. He was one of the main people behind the Bill Bixby Hulk show, Incredible Hulk, which we'll cover next year. Yeah, but he always talks shit about superheroes, mm-hmm. which is which is why the Incredible Hulk show. It's really not a superhero. Show. No, it's no. a psychological thriller slash drama for a lot of it. You know, in this movie, he talked about how he didn't want Steel was more of a knight, you know, like a medieval knight than he was a superhero. Like this guy. Much like Tim Burton, always threw shade at comic book movies, even though he wound up directing one. All right. Now, Adam, you and I were friends around this time. We were spending every Monday watching Nitro, and we had quite the friendship around this time. I don't remember us even mentioning that Steel even existed until it showed up on our video store shelves, and you were like, what the fuck is this? Yep. It's amazing, because all the other movies we talked about that came out that year, yep, saw that. Yep. Yep, Saw that. (laughs) Yep. Saw that. I paid to see Spawn in a movie theater. I think more than once. This never crossed my mind. I don't even know if I knew that it was coming out. If I knew it, 
it was never a consideration to go see. And Shaq was big. I know now people probably know him more as a commentator, commercials, and all this other stuff. But he was massive. His popularity and everything else was, you know, as large as he as he is. He wasn't just a personality. He had uh, rap so, albums. Yeah. He, uh, he, he had Kazam. He had Kazam. He was. He did have Kazam. He was in William Friedkin's Blue Chips. He did have quite a second and third career around this time. But to put him as the face of a Superman side character is an interesting choice. And, yeah, I put that. That's got to be nothing. And I blame, not to spoil my closing thoughts, I'm going to blame a lot on Quincy Jones. Well, Quincy Jones, with the exception of signing his name on, I don't think he had much to do with this production. It's kind of like a Spielberg Transformers thing if you talk to Kenneth Johnson. Mm. But – Please inform me, boys, either of you, what does this – I still don't have my question answered. What does this have to do with Superman? Was this something that was just kind of an offshoot character that someone was like, let's just have him imitate Superman? What does this have to do with the Superman universe? So we got to take you back to Superman dying. If you were a comic book person in the 90s or even unfamiliar with comics, like if you, if you beat people up for reading comics, you still knew that Superman was dying in the comics. That was one of the biggest stories to ever hit the medium. And out of that comic spawned, no pun intended, a bunch of characters who try to take up the mantle of Superman in the wake of his death. One of them is John Henry Irons, known as Steel. He debuted in uh, issue 500, so in that run. And he was sort of, he was a regular guy, weapons engineer, who was inspired by Superman and became a vigilante. And he was literally referred to as the Man of Steel. And Superman says, just change it to, shorten it to Steel. And he spawned his own solo series. But the character had only been around for a couple years before this movie came out. It was a new creation. But I give them credit, 97, this is before Blade. You got a black starring, black character in your, in a superhero movie. This and Spawn. Even though we'll, we'll talk shit about them in all likelihood, were important for the time. Yeah, and he was. I mean, that that matches the John Henry Irons is John Henry, which is a take of the a folk character from from railroads. So there's a lot. There was a lot of thought put into him as a character when they introduced him into the comics. They were at least trying to do something with the character of, of Steel. Now, Adam, how familiar are you with these with this set of comics? I know you weren't really familiar with the movie when it was coming out, but had you read this set? No, and I still don't. Like, I know of Steel. I, I know enough, but like much of the Superman mythos, not really my jam too much. The Rise of the Superman that came out in the wake of Superman's death, most of those characters were ones I just didn't care for all that much. A lot of my 90s comics shied away from DC, and I was pretty hardcore in X-Men at the time. So I know of Steel, but even the ones, the part of the comics that I have read with him, it, he just doesn't do it for me. It's not my kind of superhero. Yeah, he, he sort of fell out of vogue, even in the adaptations. Like, they did a two-part adapta- adaptation of The Death of Superman mm-hmm. in animation, and him and Eradicator get nothing to do. All about Cyborg Superman and Superboy. So even in the years since that comic, he hasn't really persevered in the way that I think they, they wanted. And every now and then they try, even with DC's new Milestone reinitiative, where they're bringing that back, they've tried to tie Steel into Milestone. And it's they just can't figure out how to... They've gotten some really talented writers and artists. I just... You know, some characters that are a side character just can't can't continue an ongoing comic. Unless you guys have anything else to say, I want to just go and go ahead and move with the plot. Um, <laughs> this, this movie has a plot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we open with an opening title sequence taking place around a steel factory with a rousing, almost funk-filled opening theme that just doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? <laughs> yeah, this definitely ain't the uh, John Williams. No. Not at all. We're seeing trees being taken down and a weapon firing at a tank with Charles Napier, of all people, saying, I thought I smelled some nuts roasting. Charles Napier's in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) This is also when we meet our two major protagonists of the film, John Henry Irons and Sparky, played by Shaquille O'Neal and Annabeth Gesch, respectfully. 
or maybe not respectfully. Let's talk about these two. I'll start with Annabeth Gish because I'll always talk about X-Files alums. She was in the... Yes, you will. She was in those final seasons when the show initially made a swan song. She's about as useless as Michelle Williams' vagina in Brokeback Mountain in this movie. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Years later, when Kenneth Johnson was interviewed for, I want to say, the film site Slash, he said one of the things he would have changed to help boost the box office is he would have gotten a stronger leading lady. I'm not sure if you can find... that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem with this movie. I'm not sure if you can find anyone to get chemistry with Shaq and make it seem believable, but Gish is just... Not good here. She is not a good female protagonist. The entire time I'm thinking, and this may be my ignorance with the Steel Comics, but if she's a character from it, I don't know. And if they're just trying to make a really poor ripoff of Oracle, then they succeeded in failing miserably. Stole my line. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Matt. (laughs) I do that's where going with it, too. I'm like, he's going to make the boring comparison. Now, I, let me preface this by saying, I have not read a single Steel comic in my life outside of Death of Superman. And I know Annabeth Gish, she played Martin Sheen's eldest daughter on the West Wing. Oh, yeah, that's right. And she'll be in a Stephen King property we talk about 30 years from now, Bag of Bones. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but yeah, th- this character doesn't really do much for me. She has a horrible accident happen to her. She feels very sorry for herself. But you can tell this was the 90s because they don't do, like, it takes Shaq being the one to give her the pep talk. She doesn't do it on her own. So, so much for female empowerment. Yeah. It still weighs off from that. Yeah, it's one of the problems with this movie. And, yeah, the only one is, putting it mildly, is that none of these characters are really, you're capable of fully rooting for them. Because they're so thinly defined. It's almost like a guy from TV wrote this movie. <laughs> oh, God. This feels like a pilot for a C- like a TV show in the 90s. Yep. Like, this feels like that Aquaman pilot from like 2005. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, we're just trying because comic books are back in vogue to get any... Like, we have the license for steel. So, God damn it, we have to make it work. <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe this hit theaters. I really can't. It's one thing to make it. This got a theatrical release. Big theatrical release. Now let's talk about our title character, portrayed by one of our great basketball stars, Shaquille O'Neal. Now, I was an avid basketball watcher around this time, and O'Neal was one of those players whose interviews I would always love seeing. You watch him on NBA Today with Charles Barkley. He's a funny, charismatic guy. Now, this was his second starring role after the flop that was Kazam a couple years before. And like I said, Johnson already felt backed into a corner because he was against the idea of putting Shaq in this role. They had the rush production because Shaq was headed to the Olympics. And Johnson even even had an acting coach friend of his diligently work with Shaq to get maybe a semblance of a performance from him. It didn't work. Shaq is Shaq is hideous. Spoiler alert. He is hideous in this movie. Some of the deliveries here, like when he's yelling Sparky's name and giving a Vader style no or just Sparky no. Terrible. Sparky no. He is really bad in this. And I know Charles Barkley to this day still gives him shit about this movie. It's funny seeing the rapport between them. <laughs> and Shaq is willing to laugh at himself. He does have a great sense of humor about it. But I don't know what they were thinking putting him in this movie. Well, I do know what they were thinking. I'll get to that when I talk later. But he's bad in this. Oh, he's he's hor- he can't act. He's not an actor. He can't act. He can't deliver lines. But even his his speech mannerisms, it's always something that's kind of been made fun of. It's why they call him the big Aristotle. Yeah, you know, it's the, the it's the lumbering way that he talks on top of things. And it, you know, not to I don't mean that insultingly. It's just his it's his delivery of things. I don't fault Shaq for for accepting this and taking it. Because like you said, he is a huge, he loves Superman. He is a huge, huge Superman fan. He's got a giant S in his media room. And so, yeah, you get a chance to play Deal, who's from that universe. Of course you say yes. So I don't blame him whatsoever. But I don't know how you think that your star, you know what, if he can't act, you're surely going to put some people around him that can, right? Either... His sidekick or the antagonist? No. You ain't going to do any of that in this film. They threw him on the court without a starting lineup. Because this is... He looks lost. He does. Like, he, 
He doesn't know what fucking camera to look at. Mm-hmm. He looks really awkward in the suit, but some of his deliveries... I laughed harder at some of his lines than I have ever laughed at a Kevin Smith script. It is... There are parts of this movie like, this was kind of my cat, what Catwoman was for you. Where I was just laughing, and I couldn't believe somebody thought this was good enough to put in theaters. It, it was... Yeah, it was a bad decision to put Shaquille O'Neal in this movie, but... This was a, we let Shaq do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, he had his own video game, Shaq Fu. He did. For God's sake. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, like he was one of the biggest crossover athletes, arguably of all time, certainly the last thirty years. But he should have requested a trade to another director. Because <laughs> uh, you know, me, look, we live in an age now where pro wrestlers can make a good living as actors. Mm-hmm. I'd be more than willing to give Shaq a chance, especially he's got a good sense of humor because he has a lot of TV appearances. Yep. He's been in some movies here and there. He was in this. He was in Freddy Got Fingered. He was in a lot of bad Adam Sandler movies. He should have fouled out his director and said, you know, get out of here and get me someone who at least will try to make this work. Because how do you go from Wesley Snipes to Shaquille O'Neal? Well, funny story about that. So Johnson just recently had dinner with one of the producers at this film. And the producer mentioned that he wanted to recast the role with Wesley Snipes, which was Johnson's initial suggestion. But executives wouldn't budge on it. You know why, boys? Money. Because they believe Shaq Steel action figures would sell more. That is the reason. I believe it. And I also don't buy, look, I don't buy Shaq as an arms manufacturer, but I, I don't really feel that about Wesley Snipes. It should be said that after this movie came out and made $1.7 million against a $16 million budget, all the marketing people got fired. That's the only th- way to go. I mean, 1.7, that's just pathetic. You know, I think all yeah, the independent films, I think all the independent films I've made combined cost $1.7 million. You should have been able to get the curiosity factor from basketball fans to get it to $10 million. They only had five weeks to shoot with Shaq. Yep. Yeah, because he was going to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he says he had everything memorized. I'm like, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure I can spot the moments where you're reading on the <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So John and Sparky and Nathaniel, played by six years removed from New, York, New Jack City and former Brat Packer Judd Nelson are putting on a demonstration of their new weapons that are permanently set for stun, meaning they're not designed to kill anyone. Huh? Boy, this is not where John Nelson thought his career was going. <laughs> well, he was big at this time. you gotta, you got to remember, and Adam remembers this, he was in Suddenly Susan at this time. Yeah. Which was a sitcom I used to watch, starring Brooke Shields, because I had a massive crush on Brooke Shields. He had, like, a, a full movie career in the 90s where, you know, you start off hot with New Jack City. Mm-hmm. He does his absurd comedy with Airheads. And here he's phoning it in in a superhero movie. He was in another thriller called Relentless that I loved as a teenager. I haven't watched it since, but I remember really liking that one, too. But you're right. He kind of had a just a different career in the 90s, for sure. Well, in the 80s, people thought he was going to be the next, like, Rob Lowe. Yeah. Because he was the standout in The Breakfast Club, for sure. Now, Adam, you have already said that they didn't do what they should have done, which is surround Shaq with better actors. So you're saying Judd Nelson's no better, huh? Oh, my God. Judd Nelson looks like he's playing a villain for the A-team. You know what? Shit, that may be my critique for this whole movie. But I I don't know what movie he's in. It's not a superhero. You know what? It's Steel. That's what it is. He he fits in this movie perfectly fine, I guess. But holy cow, this is like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles henchman type of role that we're getting right here out of him. This feels like an unofficial like G.I. Joe spinoff. Yes. Like, that level of absurdity and lack of creativity. Now, the thing about this that really sets it off the rails, and Matt, you kind of hit on this, but I want to kind of pile on, is that Shaq isn't playing someone who stumbles upon these weapons. He's playing the weapons expert who designs and builds them. <laughs> Because that's what I think of with Shaq. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, that, that, that he graduated from West Point because he's an officer in the Army. Mm-hmm. And that he's a military, that he's a weapons genius. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and that's bullshit because we know Shaq can't do any semblance of cardio. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Kevin Nash. Like, he just doesn't... <laughs> Now this, That's his kryptonite. Cardio and free throws. Yep. Now, this demonstration is for a senator. As John and Sparky do a friend handshake, Nathaniel asks the senator her security clearance and tells her that he's always trying his best to serve his country. John shows the senator his non-kill cannon 
As Nathaniel takes the controls and sets it at its max setting, he fires it and it takes out a few buildings as debris falls on Sparky and he has to rescue her as her legs are crushed. Sparky, no! Now, Matt, you've already said that this is not a good way to cripple your protagonist. Go ahead and pile on, sir. No, it's just his his delivery is so fucking funny. I almost fell out of my chair. I was laughing so hard. And is this what Zack Snyder was referencing when he took out Scoot McNary's leg? (laughs) (laughs) We cut to a hearing where John calls Burke out for recalibrating the weapon. And I love when Burke tries to stand down and intimidate Shaq. And he gets like eye to belly button with him. That's the funniest scene in the movie for me, is when he's like trying to intimidate him and Shaq's like seven stories tall. (laughs) John tells Napier that after what happened to Sparky, he's quitting and Burke doesn't look too happy. John shows up to Sparky's hospital room and gives her flowers, telling her that he quit. And it doesn't look like that she's getting back on her feet, but John says that he'll keep checking on her and that he's going home. Yeah, because I'm surely, surely you will be able to recover and walk again after your legs are crushed by hundreds of pounds of stone. You know, the stone is it's also a good allegory for his hands when he went to the free throw line. <laughs> Bricks. <laughs> and and I gotta say, because these are the little moments that always just are like shit, nails on a chalkboard for me. The military is not fucking Pizza Hut. You don't give your two weeks notice <laughs> and decide that you're going home. That's not how it works. Now, you guys said that this character of Sparky is from the comics? I don't know. I have Um, no idea. Oh, okay. I thought you guys said that. The only one I know who is an actual character is Steel. For all I know, everyone else could be exclusive to this movie. Okay. So Burke follows John on the plane like Tote and Raiders. (laughs) And uh, John goes home, showing that he still can't hit a free throw. Compliment alert. I find it endearing that Shaq could laugh at something that he was really, rightfully so, that he took a beating for in the press, and that he could not hit a free throw to save his life. I remember watching those games, ready for that fucker to hit that rim and not go in that net. <laughs> so I find, well, it, it, I find so- it cool that he's actually laughing at himself here. Yeah, I mean, they make fun of this in Scary Movie 4. He can't make the free throw when he's in the saw trap. That, that seems, actually, it's him and Dr. Phil. It's the only funny part of that oh. movie. Because they, they do the thing where he, where he cuts off his leg, like the first Saw movie, but he cuts off the wrong foot. Okay, so can someone tell me what Burke's game plan is? He comes into an arcade game distributor, gives him an offer to deal the next generation weapons to the world. So he's the one who's going to benefit from this. Yeah, I guess he's selling the weapons to the games. Interesting. But this is like the equivalent. This is so dumb. This is like in uh, RoboCop when they gave Boddicker's gang all those high-tech weapons yeah. and they still can't, <laughs> and they still can't fucking kill RoboCop. <laughs> John seeing some people around his home and this is an admiral approach by Quincy Jones and company to show Shaq in a bad part of town and the way he can inspire people to get out and do good things. But according to Johnson, Jones was at one production meeting which was held at the beginning of production. He never came around again and he didn't seem like his heart was in it. I can feel that here it's an admirable approach but it's pulled off very badly yep they should might as well just had michael jackson play steel oh, if you're gonna have quincy, if you're gonna have quincy jones involved in this production <laughs> yeah you know what? yeah and i'll start standing right here you have a couple choices of how you could have gone with it and at times they want to make this almost like a black exploitation movie all the way from the music at the very beginning mm-hmm. and if you're going to go that way you need to fully go with it but they do it a little bit, and then they don't. Then they do it a little bit, then they don't. They they don't know what kind of movie they want to make here, other than shit. Outside of that, I don't think they have a direction for how this movie is going to go. We get an introduction to Grandma Souffles and her intentions on opening a restaurant. John says no more weapons for him, adding that they're bad for the soul. He starts working at Bill Crawley's steel mill. Meanwhile, the weapons are being manufactured at a rapid rate, and Burke shows off the prototype. Burke then destroys the elevator containing the one that's center to his plan. So this is our main baddie, huh? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> this is the most forget, like, this is the worst comic villain since, like, Ross Webster in Superman 3. Oh, good. Like, it's that level of forgettable. Oh, this is bad. Meanwhile, the lasers get some use downtown as cars are destroyed and a safe is broken into. There's a firefight where cops are killed, and I love how Johnson is having Shaq wear white here because we know that this steel costume he gets later really limits his mobility, and it's a sharp contrast to the gray metal suit that he's going to be wearing later. I'm trying to give compliments here, guys. I'm really trying. 
you know, I'll give a compliment, it, and I missed it. Grandma's house, she obviously lives in a house from up, right there in the middle of the, of the freaking street. <laughs> yeah, if you pay attention to it. <laughs> there might as well be all, like, the high-rises around it, and then she's at the one house. <laughs> <laughs> He's once again pulling a female away from danger, exclaiming, It's on now. He's breaking fences and rescuing people from getting hit by trains. They're trying their best to show John as a hero here, right, Adam? They are. I like this moment in the train yard. The reason is John Henry ties into the African-American folk hero building railroads. Oh. He's kind of, yeah, think of like, you know, Paul Bunyan and like that story. It's a similar type of thing with John Henry, which is where John Henry Irons, the name came from. So that's what I got out of the train yard. So just that kind of nod to the history of it, I, I can go with. If, if you know it, you're like, you know what, that's kind of cool to throw it in here. It's also, it's not bad for what it is. It's kind of exploring and you're showing who he is and who he wants to be. So, yeah, I'll give it a side-eye compliment here in the train yard. I appreciate that the movie at least has an aspirational thing, which I think all superhero movies should. Because in the comic, he's like the... An ordinary guy who's actually inspired by Superman. So I appreciate that they're bringing that attitude into this movie. The chase is on through this rail yard as John is almost shot and then crushed by a train car. He pulls himself up, though, and interrogates the kid who was shooting at him, who says that he found the weapon. He gets shot again, and the kids bail. Meanwhile, Charles Napier says that there is no way that weapon is on the streets as every one of them has been accounted for. He then asks Martin where the kids are, and John goes there. Shaq is an intimidating dude. It's so funny seeing him next to these kids. Like, I'm a big dude. I'm 6'5", but I'd be scared to face this guy. <laughs> He's just huge in this movie. I cannot think of what it took to be the focus puller on this film yes. or to try to shoot and get the kids and Shaq in frame at the same time. <laughs> also, how do you have a light bulb kit that goes all the way up to the top of his head for lighting. <laughs> yeah. like, like they must have brought in like backboards. <laughs> <laughs> the gang won't give up where they got the weapon as John leaves. The gang then lets Burke know and Burke gives the order to get rid of Cutter. John then learns that Sparky has transferred to St. Louis. So he heads there and she's in no mood to talk as she tells him that he cannot imagine how she feels. He lets her know that their weapons are on the streets and that he needs her help. But Sparky refuses, so he breaks the window and tells her that he's taking her away from there. He takes her to the junkyard and shows off her new wheelchair. He then says that this will be their new headquarters, and he introduces her to Uncle Joe, a.k.a. Richard Roundtree. I, I can't believe they got sh fucking Shaft to be in the movie. <laughs> I can't believe they put a Shaft reference in here. That's the other thing that threw me off. Martin then introduces himself to Burke, who tells him to just call him the man. Man, they're hitting all the... I can't believe I just said that. Uh, they're actually going out of their way to put in, like, blaxploitation terms. Yep. Like, you might as well have someone come out and say, hey, baby. Or, I know. <laughs> they should have called the little kid honky or something. I know. Like, <laughs> Sparky falls out of her wheelchair and then pulls herself up right in front of John and Uncle Joe. She thanks John for everything and for not helping her with everything. As Martin says, Grandma wants him to check out her new souffle. Boy, this souffle is getting a lot of play in this movie. And you know what's funny about this? I was talking at work to the dude who I go to the movies that Jen does not want to see with. I was talking to him, and he was like, what are you guys reviewing this week? I said, oh, we're going to be reviewing Steel and Superman Returns. And I was talking to him right in front of my boss's boss. And my boss's boss was like, oh, I remember the souffles. I remember, like, he was naming things on this movie, and he hadn't seen it in, like, 30 years. I just found that funny that it was that memorable to him that the souffle and grandma's cooking and everything about Shaq was what he remembered about this movie. <laughs> He's five of those one point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think the lineup for the Lakers went to go see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we then get a montage of John making the suit, which is leading some big buildup to when it's finally revealed. Because, okay, so they have a freaking a forge in the backyard? <laughs> I guess. Is it a junkyard that they're living in? I mean, are we going <laughs> to... I mean, this is just... I, I don't... Make a decision of which way you're going with this film. Like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so they they give him a forge because that was the director's thing of making him like a medieval knight. Yep. 
But I'll save it for when we get the costume reveal. Okay. And, and I think he should make it, you know, that's part of the character. He builds the suit. and all. But nowhere at the beginning of this film, when he's an officer in the army firing weapons, do we get that he works with steel and builds and is a fort? I fucking, I don't know. Sparky then says that tonight's the night and gives him an earpiece containing an engagement box. She then shows him a camera that he's going to be using as well as a hammer, to which Uncle Joe says, I especially like the shaft. Groan. So does Sparky. Yeah, right? (laughs) You guys don't know if this character is in the comics, so I don't know if these two get together in the comics. I'm assuming that they do. But they're really teasing something going on here. I don't know, but this movie's not selling me on wanting to read the comic. (laughs) No, no. And I've done a little searching from where I am. I don't see anything for, like, alliances or sidekicks or anything else. I see that he works with others, but I don't see a reference to any of these people. Interesting. I actually like that they don't make them a couple here. I do, too. I appreciate they don't make them get together. That It does feel like friendship and camaraderie between these two. Mm Mm-hmm. Sparky says that she laughs at danger as John warns her not to go further. And then John says, sometimes you have to fight fire with fire as John reveals his mask. And Uncle Joe says, John Henry is now turning himself into a man of steel. Boy, they gave Richard Roundtree all the good lines in this, didn't they? So so the mask. That's it, boy. That's a badass outfit. (laughs) So the mask does not fit with the bodysuit whatsoever. They did that purely to give Shaq more face time. Yep. Yeah. Because it's also not, it's not the same color, it's not the same material. It's not really armor like the rest of the suit is. Like it looks like the material that Michael Keaton's Batman can rip off with ease at the end of returns. And oh god, and it looks this looks like a fucking Halloween costume. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was just about ready to say we see our new hero in action and my god is this suit fucking silly. It looks like the rest of this movie. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know if his, with the dimensions of Shaq, I don't know if you get a suit that looks good for something like this, but I had assumed that it would maybe evolve over the course of this film to be a badass looking one by the end of it. Spoiler alert. Nope. It's, he put, a, he put some pieces of steel on. So truth in advertising. I, guess. I do like that we get a John Hawk sighting here. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Steele then says that on behalf of the citizens of Los Angeles, he'd like to apologize. Yeah, this movie doesn't even take place in Metropolis. I know. (laughs) He then runs into some kids who shoot him everywhere but the face, and then comes at him with a car only to get taken out by a sonic gun, all while saying the tagline, It's hammer time. He fights them like Michael Keaton's Batman, (laughs) with limited to zero movement. And it makes his escape like him, too, as he throws a grapple hook over the building and climbs it. So they want this to be like Batman f- for like an African-American audience. I'm, I'm trying to get what exactly they're going for here. Yeah, and I don't get it. Mm-hmm. It should be said, when we said we were getting ready for Steel, when we said that we were going to review this, and it ended up being a couple weeks later. But Matt, you and I got a message from somebody who said this was like a staple of his childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm convinced Chad was dropped as a child. Or <laughs> <laughs> started drinking way, way, way too early. <laughs> he then does a long jump from building to building, but John falls and gets a little trashed. Get it, guys? Gets a little trashed. The puns in this movie, I swear <laughs> to God, the effects are still here. I was going to say, this does kind of feel like Batman and Robin in that way. We're getting puns galore in this movie. <laughs> And if you went fully that way, I think you could enjoy this, you know, in that kind of over-the-top exploitation type comedy. If, if it took itself that direction, I think it would be a way different film, for the better. John then gets on a motorcycle to escape the cops, even driving by Martin and Grandma, until he finally drives into the garage, Knight Rider style. So, there's two moments in this movie where I just hysterically laughed. Like, Robert De Niro and Cape Fear level. This looks like a fucking mini golf course. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and when the thing levels up so he can drive in like it's the goddamn Batcave, I, 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 could not, I could not contain myself until something else that happened in this movie where I just... I think it's the hardest I've ever laughed watching a movie for this show. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? Uh, it depends on the intent. <laughs> 
What about you, Adam? You're watching this. Are you kind of going with it, or are you just kind of like no, 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 okay. no, no. <laughs> All right. I, 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 no. This movie's offending my sensibilities in every way. It's it's offending my eye holes, <laughs> my ear holes, my mouth holes because I can't even find something to eat while I'm watching this thing. No, <laughs> no. John tells Sparky that he doesn't know what he'd do without her. Burke checks in with Martin, who tells him about Steel and what he saw the night before. And let me ask you guys, you know, there's a question brought up about who Steel is, even after giving a description. How many seven-foot guys do you guys know? This is like when, um, when people can't figure out what the Ninja Turtles are. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, the, the, the gang of kids running around, I keep thinking about the kids that the Foot Clan keep trying to recruit in that oh. 1990 uh, Turtles movie. Yep. Oh. That's what I think of every time. But yeah, it's, you say that, I was thinking, Commissioner, is there a seven-foot bat walking around Gotham City? <laughs> <sighs> a review long lost. Maybe we'll go back to that series. Burke's men head to the Federal Reserve Bank and blast it while taking out security guards with their non-lethal guns. Right when they think they're in the free, here's Steel to F things up. We're seeing things from his point of view as he's blasting away, and then Johnny gets thrown into a dumpster. The police arrive, and we see a helicopter taking out. And I'll go ahead and say another compliment alert. Not a bad effect for this budget, that helicopter. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Okay. Johnny saves the cop and then hops on his motorcycle to escape. Matt, you're not going with this action scene, huh? I'm not going with much of anything. Okay. All right. Johnny then gets instructions from Sparky as cops continue to pursue him. He does the T2 trick where he blasts a liquid nitrogen truck to escape. (laughs) All this as Nathaniel tries his best to give a villain sneer. And boy, (laughs) Judd Nelson cannot pull that off. (laughs) No, he can't. This is the most vanilla fucking villain. Yeah. We cut to Johnny getting his wounds tended to by Sparky, who warns him that he's steel on the outside and flesh on bone on the inside. She also says that cops think he's part of Nathaniel's gang. Oh, God. And and the, the worst thing about this movie is that they're hitting every superhero movie cliche. The cops thinking he's in league with the villain, the villain who's like his ex-partner, mm. the lo- quote-unquote love interest slash partner, and eventually a little kid that follows him around. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, they're hitting the marks better than Shaq hit the basket. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to Nathaniel ratting out Steel for shooting down the helicopter. As Uncle Joe tells Sparky, the reason he's pressing Johnny so hard is because he loves him and what he's trying to do. Also, the old wise man, right? <laughs> Giving the hero yeah. instructions and kind of pushing him yeah. on his way. Yep. The mentor. Yeah, the mentor. Yeah. That's Whistler. Yep. We cut to Johnny going back to Grandma, who's determined to get her souffle perfect. I will laugh at the souffle every time. Yeah, me too. Especially when it makes too much noise, because if you don't know that souffle needs to be quiet so that it'll rise and noise will make it flatten, it, it, it makes me chuckle. Mm-hmm. She's in the middle of asking him if he steal when her house is invaded by cops and, he's, and Johnny's arrested. The couple they bring in to ID Johnny say that he's not there, while the cop on the scene does the same, but they hold him for questioning anyway. Sparky calls the mayor's office to get the voice needed to get Johnny free. But Sparky gets taken hostage as well. Ah, the old trick of let's disguise our voice so we can free our hero. Thinking of Batman and Robin. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's someone with the voice changer later on. Yep. Nathaniel, meanwhile, holds a demonstration of Johnny's weapons, which Steel shows up to stop. But then he gets captured as well. While Nathaniel continues his demonstration, he hits a red switch on a red hammer, which turns on magnetic rays. Just as Sparky hits a switch on her wheelchair that causes an explosion. This whole ending, we got everything from Nazi skidheads showing up yep. to Middle East terrorists. <laughs> yep. To, I, mean, every, I don't know who he's got on speed dial or in his Rolodex. This is the 90s. But they got here quick, and it is every stereotype you could possibly imagine in this warehouse at once. It reminded me, we just did Jurassic Park 3. It reminded me when Norah Dern made that call and all of a sudden all the fucking, every single fucking Air Force and Marine showed up. <laughs> kind of the same thing. I was thinking of the Ununited Nations from Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> or Jigsaw's big speech in Punisher Warzone oh, to all the different gangs. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to Punisher Warzone. Oh, me neither. <laughs> This explosion causes a firefight. Johnny then finds himself in a situation where he needs to hit a free throw type shot or he'd explode with a grenade. If only they threw grenades on the basketball court. The timing on this grenade 
is the longest <laughs> fuse in the history of grenades. As somebody who has thrown live grenades and has his expert badge, I cannot believe <laughs> that they play around with this fucking grenade for the better part of a minute. <laughs> How long do these things but last? Has, I'm curious. Uh, not long, around the realm of about 15 seconds. Okay. But I have to thank the movie for this scene, because this is the greatest reaction in cinema history. <laughs> when the guy blows up. Yes. <laughs> I, I, laughed so, I laughed so hard, I thought I was going to have an ulcer. <laughs> Steele tells Martin that he could help if he doesn't tell Grandma. Just as reinforcements arrive, the colonel tells, quote-unquote, Arnold that he's in the clear, as all footage shows that he did not shoot down the helicopter. But as the colonel starts figuring out Arnold is actually Johnny Irons, Johnny hangs up. Because, of course, we got to disguise our voice as, quote-unquote, Arnold. Arnold. Yep. We cut to a party at Grandma's as she's serving souffle, and she says that anyone would be proud to have Steele in their family. Obviously, she knows who he is. Because, again, how many seven-foot guys does she know? Johnny says that he likes Sparky's new wheelchair modifications as she raises up, and they hug as credits roll on steel. All right, boys, any thoughts on the final leg of this? Because <laughs> she stands on them. There you go. <laughs> it, it, everything at the ending. I mean, this the thing with, the with I don't know, the gang is getting together. To steel standing next to Judd Nelson for the better part of like five minutes while he's waxing rhapsodic on that stage. This is, ah, uh, fuck. Yeah, we're getting into closing thoughts. I don't need to... <laughs> <laughs> all right scale of one to ten what do we give steel adam since you're so anxious to go you go ahead and go first sir you know i had gone the better part of when did this come out 1997 Again? sir okay so i went the better part of 26 years more than half my life i was able to avoid this film thanks Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> no no this was goudreau this was not me don't <laughs> yell at me Oh, no, 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 no you started this with catwoman <laughs> <laughs> blame me for it oh boy i you know what? I'll give this film a compliment. It's short. It's, what, 95 minutes? So kudos for that. I don't blame Shaq for this movie. As I said before, Superman's his hero. You're in a chance. Somebody comes to me and asks me if I want to be some Batman character. I don't care how shitty the movie is. I'm going to jump at it because I love Batman. Shaq loves Superman. I don't blame him. But the music choices tell me this is a black exploitation film, and then it doesn't go down that route. Judd Nelson is the most ridiculous villain because he's not villainous enough the lines that he's given to read tell me that he that he's it i i think he is so coked out of his mind that he's bored to be there like he's not dennis hopper coked up he's tired coked up because he's sleepwalking through this film this makes supergirl look like superman 2 that's how bad steel is of all the 90s superhero films and there's a lot of bad ones that have come out you know in that decade i don't know if there's one worse than this. There's a superhero movie we're going to have to get to sometime in the future that I never was able to sit through, and I think that movie's going to be an improvement on this. I, I can't believe how wasted my time was, but I am glad that it was only, what, 95, 97 minutes that I had to get through. It is the epitome of 90s, I'll give it that, but it's the epitome of 90s without the fun. You know, if you could have found a way to make this just campy enjoyment, but it can't even do that. This is pretty deplorable, and that it attaches itself to Superman. You might as well call this movie Parasite, because that's all it is in the way of latching itself to the Man of Steel. Steel's a two on ten. I'm giving it one basket from inside, so two on ten. Two out of ten from Adam Bunch. Obviously, he's not too happy with the idea of us having to review this. Goudreau, as the one whose idea it was to review this, what do you have to say about Steel, sir? I'll keep it short and sweet, like Shaq's Celtic career. This is one of those movies that could only have been made in the 90s, because we let Shaq do whatever the fuck he wanted to do, and this was a movie that I don't think anybody really wanted to make, because I don't get any sense of passion from anybody, whether it's the director, the writer, it's shot like a bad TV production. It's written like a high school student film. And everyone who's in this, Shaq included, looks like it is their first time in front of a camera. However, this movie's fucking hilarious at certain points because of the, of the gumption and just unintentional 
hilarity of some of the reactions and line deliveries. There's at least three instances where, as I said, I howled with laughter, and that's going to equate to my score. Uh, this is a three on ten for me. It's really bad. Don't get me wrong. I, I definitely wouldn't watch it again. But those couple moments that caught me so off guard, and, and look, I'm not a Steel fan, so I, I'm not offended by this movie in any way as a comic book fan, so I don't have that perspective. So I'll conclude by saying, yeah, it's bad, but also, what, what, what'd you expect when you look at when you look at the elements on paper? You're getting a recipe for disaster. So what was your score? I'm sorry. Three. Three on ten. You know, if anyone other than Chad is a Steel fan, please sound off or in the comments because I, I need to know. Yeah, I did not see this in the 90s. I did not see it until much later in life. And uh, this has only been my second time watching it, and it'll probably be my last. I I do think that, I, I thought for sure that Matt was going to go the ironic Catwoman 8 out of 10 that I gave that film. I can't go that route because I didn't laugh as hard as Matt did while watching this. The line deliveries are hilarious, I will say that. But, but I can't say that there's miscasting here because I don't know who these characters are supposed to be and Kenneth Johnson doesn't do us any favors by not illustrating that. I think somebody on this podcast hit it perfectly where it just feels like the pilot of a TV show. Nothing's really resolved in this. We, we don't get any resolution to anything going on in this. We get some pretty funny lines about souffles and we get some unironic comedy. But man, I, like Adam, this is short. This is little over 90 minutes it's not a two and a half hour slog but it was sometimes painful to watch because i didn't know exactly what they were trying to accomplish here i think the heart is in the right place kind of like superman 4 the quest for peace where christopher reeve's heart was in the right place making this i think it's good to make a empowerment film whether it's for african americans whether it's for females whether it's for nerds i think it's important to have stuff like this out there but again the execution of this was just off just completely off. Uh, I'm also going with a three on 10. And I also want to say too, that this wasn't made for us boys. Even by the time this was released in the nineties, me and Adam were 20 at that time. It wasn't for us, but I gotta say, I gotta look at it as a 12 year old boy. If I saw this as a 12 year old boy, I don't think I would still like this. I just, you know, there's just too many things about this that I just, I, I, I just kind of shook my head at starting with Judd Nelson, ending with Shaq and everything in between. So three out of 10 for me on steel. But next week's review boys is something I've been looking forward to for a while. When we started this retrospective, this was the movie I was thinking would be the most I would kind of look at myself because I spent the majority of my adult life defending Superman Returns. I'm questioning whether I'm going to defend it next week. I have no idea how I feel about that film at this point. I mean, I'm somebody who, if you go back to those re-films, I loved all the re-films. Even three, I gave a pretty positive review to, not four. But I am looking forward to revisiting next week's movie, if for the sake of reevaluating how I feel about it. Adam, what are you feeling going into next week's review of Superman Returns? You know, I'm kind of excited to have the discussion. It's been a while since I've seen it, but that was a movie theater watch for me. I remember certain parts of it. I think it's going to be a good discussion, especially being that there's a pretty sizable break between that and Man of Steel, big tonally shift between those two films. So it kind of feels like it's, you know, a cap to, to the Donner films, even though it's not Richard Donner, but that's just kind of how this one seems. So it's there's a lot to digest in it between the different casting choices, the director, and even just the overall decision that they made to make it a sequel to the original Superman film. So I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. I can't wait to see how it gets discussed. You and I haven't discussed it in a very long time. And somebody like Matt, who that would have been, what, probably his first Superman film in theaters, you know, so it's going to be an interesting talk, and I can't wait to go through it. Drew, what are you looking forward to when we review Superman Returns next week? I'm definitely looking forward to a, a new perspective on this movie that I have now that I'm older, and you know, there's a there's a fatherhood component to this movie, which we'll definitely talk about. That might resonate with me in a certain way that it didn't when I was 12, seeing this for the first time, and I, I got a good theater experience about it, at least in my own headspace when it happened but look first Superman movie in 20 years officially after a bunch of start and stop productions good trailer Smallville was a thing Superman was in vogue and it was time to see if Brian Singer could could bring it back like he made X-Men into a propped up 
juggernaut of superhero films, no pun intended. Yeah, I gotta say, after two weeks of Ewok films and this particular film, at the very least, at least I want to get a quote-unquote real superhero movie with somebody who's I'm actually familiar with next week. But yeah, that'll be next week when we talk about Superman Returns. After that, we have Man of Steel. And then after Man of Steel, we have another Batman v Superman review from Superman's point of view. We'll talk about how we feel about the Superman side of those characters. And then we are deep in fall, which means it's Halloween time. So me and Matt are going to be talking about a certain... I'm not going to reveal the franchise. There's going to be the franchise we're talking about that's Halloween themed. And of course, we're not done with Star Wars. We did the original trilogy. We did the Ewok films. We have prequels coming up and boy, do we all have lots of things to say about that. But until next week, when we talk Superman Returns, well, dip me in shit and roll me in breadcrumbs. This podcast is over. Thanks, boys. Once more, we survived the threat of war and found a fragile peace. I thought I could give you all the gift of the freedom from war, but I was wrong. It's not mine to give. We're still a young planet. There are galaxies out there, other civilizations for us to meet, to learn from. What a brilliant future we could have. And there will be peace. There will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them. I just wish you could all see the Earth the way that I see it. Because when you really look at it, it's just one world. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. Hey, Jim! Boom! That's a bad outfit! Join us next week for an entirely new review. I see you are practiced in worshipping things that fly. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Mind over muscle. Edited by Garrett. Hey, that man's a miracle. Voiceovers by Adam. Ruler of Australia, activate the mission. Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. feelings. We all have our little faults. Mine's in California. Now, this was his second starring role after the flop that was Shazam a couple years before this. And- Kazam. Kazam, sorry. <laughs> was Kaz- Shazam is another DC Yes, property. yes, I know. It's his second starring role after the flop that was Kazam a couple years before. <sighs>
Because, uh, you know, me, look, we live in an age now where pro wrestlers can make a good living as actors. Mm-hmm. You know, if if Dave Bautista, who I thought when he was wrestling couldn't act for the longest time, I can watch him get molded into a good actor. I'd be more than willing to give Shaq a chance, especially he's got a good sense of humor. Because they believe Shaq steel action figures would sell more. That is the reason. I believe it. No, I believe it. And also, like, look, Wesley Snipes doesn't have the build of steel in the comics. Yeah. Although, not that, look, some of these physiques in comics, nobody has those fucking physiques. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, what physiques in comics do people have? <laughs> yeah, like the only... Henry like, Cavill. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Henry Cavill. <laughs> uh, ben, Aff- ben Affleck early on. But, but yeah, like, it's... And I also don't buy... Yeah, I'll give it a side-eye compliment here in the train yard. See, Matt, you ask why all the time we bring Adam on. This is why. For a little trivia like that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Matt, what do you think about this? What do you think about this, Chase? I guess it died of acid indigestion.